The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for, um, thank you for your blood um, that it covers all our sins. Um, Thank you for paving a way for us to relationship with the Father. Thank you for sending the Spirit to continually work in us salvation. Thank you for that relationship, God. I just pray a blessing over the word that Randall is about to share with us today. And I just pray that it would pierce us in, in our hearts and we would be moved to a greater understanding of who you are and what you have done for us, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, Joe. All right, good morning. We, uh, this past week, had a blast at the City Kids Sports Camp. And you know, the reason why we do this is because we say that our vision as a church is to be a church for our city that seeks new life in Jesus. God has not placed us here just to be within these four walls on a Sunday morning, but to be here for others, for our community. And so I think it was just a great example of how God has used that and uh, to bless those kids, bless this community. Uh, So if this is your first time here, that's what we're about. We are here uh, because God's placed us here and we want to share the love of Jesus with our community. Um, So if this is your first time, my name is Randall and uh, lead pastor of Grace City. And over the summer, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. We've been talking about... really how Jesus is greater. You know, we think about um, some of the Old Testament and the sacrifices, all the things that the people of Israel did, and even things that we do, right, within our culture of just trying to make our way to God, to get our way to God, but how Jesus is the answer every time. It's Jesus. It's what Jesus has done. And so that's what we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews. And our text today is Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. Um, and here's the message. Healing a guilty conscience. Healing a guilty conscience. As we've talked about over the past few weeks, or several weeks really, we've been studying this book of Hebrews and and we've been looking again about how Jesus is greater, better, more powerful. But today, the writer points us to something that we would call within our culture something very practical. Very practical. Because he tells us in verse 13 that Jesus offers us a clear conscience a clear conscience literally that Jesus's sacrifice on the cross can heal a bad conscience see this is very relevant for us today in 2013 uh, Princeton University produced an article entitled weighed down by guilt research shows it's more than a metaphor and A Princeton researcher, uh, Martin Day, and uh, another researcher, uh, Ramona Babasel, 
from University of Waterloo published the results of this series of studies on whether guilt truly weighed us down. And here's what their findings were. They said, we, we found that recalling personal unethical acts led participants to report increased subjective body weight as compared to recalling ethical acts, unethical acts of others, or no recall. We also found that this increased sense of weight was related to participants' heightened feelings of guilt and not other negative emotions such as sadness or disgust. Only unethical, guilt-inducing memories led to increased reports of weight. So today, let me ask this question. How do you deal with the problem of a guilty conscience? Right, if it's more than just a metaphor that we are weighed down by guilt, but there's research, study, that, that would say that there's something to that. How do we deal with it? Well, I was watching a TED Talk, and, and um, the, the presenter is a lady named Brene Brown. She's, she's very popular right now. Uh, she's a researcher at the University of Houston. And back in 2010, she did this talk on vulnerability, and this talk in particular got over 42 million views at this point. And here's what she says. She says, shame is the swampland of the soul. She says, guilt is, is this. I am sorry I made a mistake. She says, shame is I am sorry I am a mistake. She says, we try to numb our guilt and shame. She says, we are the most in-debt, obese, addicted, medicated adult cohort in U.S. history. And so as she starts to explain this, she, she says, you know, like, what do we do with our shame and guilt? And her answer was that we just need to be vulnerable. Vulnerable, we're, we live in a vulnerable world, and so we need to fully embrace vulnerability. And I want to say today, that's a good start. That's a good start, that, that we should, right? To, 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 to truly find healing, we, we've got to start with, in a place of vulnerability. But is that the solution? Because as I looked, listened to the talk and I heard the answer is vulnerability, it was left at that. I remember meeting a guy, he was, he was very wealthy. Uh, he was, a bunch of pastors ended up staying with him for this conference. His name's Alan. And I remember that whole week. He's, he's like confessing to all of us pastors, like all the things that he's done. He's very vulnerable. But here's the thing. He's, he still, at the end of the day, felt guilty. Guilty. And so how do we often cope with our guilt? Well, some of us will stuff it. We stuff our guilt. We stuff our shame. We try to hold it together. I'm fine. I'm good. I got this. And so we just stuff it deeper and deeper inside and we hide it. Some of us will spread it. We'll place our guilt on others. It's their fault. Place our own personal guilt in the hands of others. Well, maybe, maybe at some point I'll be able to move forward if, if, if things just work out in this person and I'm okay in this person's eyes and it paralyzes us. Right, maybe, maybe a father figure or somebody like that and said, maybe, maybe if they just see me as valuable, 
So we're just paralyzed major. And what happens is there's this major hurt in our relationships. It's a cycle. And we're never really able to move forward in life. Or what I encourage and what we see in this passage today is this, surrender. Surrender God and believe that on the cross, he ultimately paid for our guilt and our shame. That today there is an answer, there is a solution, that it is surrendering it before the one who paid for it all. See, for some of us, we want to minimize guilt and shame and say it's not even a reality. Others, we just heap more and more guilt upon ourselves and others around us. The gospel is that God wants to heal us of our guilt and our shame. And so the text today is Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. And as we've been talking about through the book of Hebrews, this letter is written to city-dwelling Jewish Christians. They were under immense amounts of persecution. And in many ways, they were made to feel lesser because they, they had rejected some of the old traditions of Judaism, which they held to before. And so they were being looked down upon because they no longer followed those traditions, but were holding tightly to Jesus. See, and amongst what would become idols in people's lives, things that they would put above God, these Christians are starting to hold on to Jesus. And, and the writers saying, hold tightly on to Jesus, even though your culture doesn't. He says that Jesus is the only one who can heal you from the brokenness that you have in your life and the sin that you're carrying. And so how does the gospel heal us from guilt and shame? Well, the author is showing us in this set of verses here um, three realities that we must face three realities that we must face and so the first reality is the reality of perfection the perfection number two the stain and number three the cleansing the perfection the stain the cleansing so uh, let's look at the first point the perfection look at verse 11 it says this it says the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. Now, I want you to underline that word perfect, and, and, and here's what we need to know. See, there's this truth that we can't shake, that we want perfection. There's something in us deep down that, 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 that says we were made for perfection. See, back in Genesis, God made us for Perfection. The very presence of God is perfection. But when we look at our lives in this world, we are far from perfect. The desire is there. God made us for perfection and perfect relationship with him. But within ourselves, it's impossible. Do you see why? Verse 11, the more perfect tabernacle. Now, we, we when we look at the word tabernacle, this is a place of worship. This is a place of God's presence. This is where God is. But in this particular, it's talking about heaven. The, the place of heaven where, where God lives, where God dwells. There is a perfect perfection in God's presence. But do you see what it says next? It says, not made with hands. It's not made by human hands. It's not made by any person. See, because all throughout the Old Testament, we see that they were making tabernacles. They were making places with human hands. 
But there's a place that is God's that's not made by human hands. And here's what we need to understand. To reach that perfect place, that presence with God, isn't going to be by your hands or my hands. See, we need to start with this. There was a lost perfection. There was a lost perfection. And we need to understand that to get to God's presence, it's not going to be by your hands or my hands and our ability. To reach God's perfect presence and, per, and the perfection we desire, we must understand you can't do it and neither can I. Today, some of us struggle with perfectionism. Perfectionism. And um, there's, a, there's a doctor, his name is Paul Hewitt. He, he did more than 20 years of research on people um, with this perfectionism syndrome. And he and his colleagues have found that perfectionism correlates with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and other mental health problems. See, there's this desire that we want everything to be perfect. But if we think it's going to be through our ability or our strength, what he says is that it just causes more and more crisis in our life. It's not going to happen on our strength. See, within our strength, the perfection is impossible. It's impossible. Why? Because we need to understand the second point, the stain. The stain. Look at verse 12. It says, um, Nor yet through the blood of goats and calves. Nor yet through the blood of goats and calves. Now, why does the author mention the blood of goats and calves? You're like, well, that's, that's kind of strange. Why, why are we talking about the blood of goats and calves? Well, blood throughout the Old Testament was always correlated to human guilt and the need for atonement or payment for that guilt. See, what this was is a payment for sin. See, where does, where does guilt stem from? The Bible tells us that it's from sin. See, and if you and I don't have a theology of sin, we're not going to understand the Bible. We won't understand it. We won't understand the payment that Jesus made for us on the cross. We just won't. See, for some of us today, when we hear the word sin, we cringe a little bit. We may think, isn't that too harsh of a word? Isn't that archaic? Haven't we gotten past that? I know I make mistakes and all, but sin, really? Well, addressing this topic of sin, Carl Menninger, who's non, a non-Christian, he's an American psychiatrist, in 1973 wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin. He says, is no one any longer guilty of anything, guilty perhaps of a sin that could be repented of or atoned for? Anxiety and depression we all acknowledge and even vague guilt feelings, but has no one committed any sins? Where indeed did sin go? What became of it? I believe there is sin which is expressed in ways which cannot be subsumed under verbal artifacts such as crime, disease, delinquency, deviancy. There is immorality. There is unethical behavior. There is wrongdoing. And I hope to show that there is usefulness in retaining the concept and indeed the word sin. See, the Bible doesn't mince words with us when it comes to our personal sin. But says that our greatest problem, our struggle 
is the stain of our sin that we all carry deep within us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We come in here today and we might be feeling guilt and, and, and just shame and all of those things. But I want you to know that today it isn't just some of us, but it's all of us. Right? It's not just some category that we've kind of put off to the side and says, those are the sinful people. No. But we're all in the same boat. We're all stained by it. And it affects us on a daily basis. And it, again, it, it causes deep feelings of guilt and shame and embarrassment. And so what's the answer? Right? Because today, part of that is just being vulnerable and saying, I do have stains in my life. I do have sin in my life, right? Starting there with vulnerability. But, but what is the solution? What is the answer? Well, it's the third point, the cleansing. Look at verses 13 through 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So what he's saying is that, you know, there was a time where God received the blood of goats and bulls, the sacrifice. But, but what, what was it? Because God also says, Psalm 50, like, do I need that? Am I like eating the, the sacrifices of these animals? Do I need that? No. What was it? It was showing us that there was a greater picture he was trying to show us. He was trying to show us that there is a sacrifice, there is a payment that, that is needed for sin. But all of it in the long run wasn't pointing to the bulls, wasn't pointing to the goats, wasn't pointing to any of these religious things that we could do before God. But what it was pointing to was the blood of Christ that was pointing us to the sacrifice of Jesus. It says that he offered himself without blemish to God. Do you know what that without blemish is? He was perfect. You know, that perfectionism, that thing that we're just striving for, to be perfect. I just want to be perfect. It's not going to be found in yourself, but it says that Jesus himself was perfect. He is God, and he's offering himself for you and me. He becomes the replacement, the perfect sacrifice. The writer says that it's only through the perfect sacrifice of not you and me, trying to clean up our lives, but God himself. And when you believe that, it cleanses you. Look at verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know what those dead works are? Those duties and those things that we think are earning God's love earning God's favor, earning God's forgiveness. You ever been in a situation where you feel like you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you just can't be forgiven, right? You ever had that? He's saying all of those things are dead before God because 
The only thing that can make you and I alive is God's work for us. F.F. Bruce says, those earlier sacrifices were but token offerings. The sacrifice of Christ was a real self-offering accomplished on the moral and spiritual plane. Here's the thing about those goats and the, 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 the bulls. They didn't make a choice to be sacrificed. They were just hanging out, right? They were just eating their food and just enjoying the day. And then all of a sudden, you're coming with me. Okay, where are we going? And it's done. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. You, see, you know what he says in John 10, 18? He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay down my, uh, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. What's he talking about? He's talking about his life. He's talking about his life. Right? Like, he, he didn't just happen to die on a cross for sins. He chose to die on a cross for sins. And so what that means is, is that thing, that whatever that, that thing is that, that's inducing you so much guilt and shame and all those things, he already knew it. And he says, you know what? It's not holding me back from you to die for you. That's the beauty of choice. It's not that he just stumbled in and says, I have to do this. But he says, I choose to because I want to be with you. And when you and I start to understand that, we'll start to see that we have a clean slate before God. What cleans a guilty conscience? It's God choosing to die for you and me. It's that he wanted to be with us. Isaac Watts once says, he says, not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, Take away all our sins away. A sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. You know, one of the things that a lot of the commentators says is, is that the people that were making these sacrifices, the animal sacrifices and the Jewish people during that time, they wouldn't have experienced really the gruesomeness of it and they wouldn't have experienced really what, what, it, what, what, it, what it really meant that their sins were forgiven. Because the priests would go in and do that. But what it says with Jesus is that he was really a spectacle for all to see. He was the, 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 the sacrifice that was out in the open. And so as people looked upon Jesus, and we experienced that, it changes us. We see that we're clean, not because we're clean, but because God has died to clean us. And so quickly, some takeaways. And th this is really where I want to get applicable for our lives. How do we apply this to our lives? Well, I want to ask you three questions. Three questions. The first one is this. How is your conscience? How is it? 
right? Like when you wake up in the morning, because you're the only one, you and God are the only one who knows. But how is your conscience? About conscience, Timothy Keller writes this. I think this is really helpful. He says, a bad conscience means a profound self-consciousness and a sense that you could not survive close examination. A sense that if people really knew who you were, really knew what was wrong with you, really knew what was really in your mind, really knew the motives of your heart, really know what you were like, you'd be rejected. That's conscience. Right, so, so if, if we were under the microscope, if we had the self-examination, and if it were to be laid bare, how would we feel? Because for some of us today, we walk in here and we walk into church and we feel like, I've just got this guilty conscience. But why? Like, what are we holding on to? What, what, are, we, what are we holding tightly to that, that makes us feel like we're worthy or worthwhile? Was it some works or some dead works, as the, the scriptures say, that as we walk in here, that makes us feel like I, I deserve to be here? Or is it us coming with a conscience that says, Really, I don't deserve to be here it, on my own merit. I wouldn't deserve to be here. I wouldn't be des- deserve to, to come before God and to worship God, but it's only because of what Jesus did for me. I have a clear conscience because it's not about me. It's about him. So how is your conscience? Second is who do you look to for payment? Now, we talk about payment in a lot of different ways, right? Like with this, we see this religious payment when we're talking about the the sacrifices of the animals, right? There was like a payment for sin to come before God's presence. We say, well, I don't really think that way. But, But here's the thing. There are things that we think, this is my payment to make myself right. Or we're just struggling in guilt and shame And you know what? Somebody's paying for that. I have to say this today. The rate of suicide within our culture, do you want to know what that is? That's payment. That's a payment. That's a sacrifice that people are making. They say somebody has to pay And so it's going to be me. Do you see that? Jesus died for us. And there is the reality of mental illness. There are things that, depression, realities. But today some of us have thought about taking our own lives. And I just want you to know that there was one who gave his life for you. The payment has been made. He loves you. Self-harm? What is that? A payment. Payment. Right? We don't think that we're worthwhile. We don't, we're not valued, and so we hurt ourselves. Some of us are doing this with work. That's our sacrifice. I'm just going to drive myself into the ground. You're making a payment. What is it to make myself feel like worthwhile? Like I'm valued? 
like I'm loved, we'll drive ourselves in the ground. And so what is it today? I even see it in my kids. You know, I've got three of them and my, my oldest one. There are times where he just, he just doesn't get it right, right? And he, like, he, he really likes being right. He really likes getting things right. One of the things he started doing was he's like, he gets so mad, he like hit himself. Mm, mm. Hit himself. I said, why are you doing that? He said, I just didn't get it right. Mm. He hit himself. I said, son, don't hit yourself. I said, don't beat yourself up because Jesus was beat up for you. Do you know that, son? You don't beat yourself up, man. And we can do it physically or we can do it mentally, emotionally. You can beat yourself up. And I want to say today that that's not a clear conscience and that's not the gospel. Do you beat yourself up over your sin or do you believe that Jesus was beat up for your sin? Someone is paying the penalty of sin and it's either you or Jesus. And so would you come to him today and believe that, that your value and your clear conscience is not based on what you can do for God, but what God has done for you, or what you can do for others, but what God has done for you, and he'll help you to move forward in life. Third, would you surrender your sin to God? You know, one of the most prevalent sins that induces immense amounts of guilt and shame is sexual sin. Doesn't talk about it here, but he will later in chapter 13. And the Apostle Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, when, when he says this, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You know, for some of us today, we might be walking in here with that shame and that guilt. And, and the reason is, and the reason that that particular sin is so heavy is exactly what the Apostle Paul says. You, you are sinning against your own body. But you're carrying it with you on a daily basis. And C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, he talks about this very thing, the idea of lust and sexual sin. And he talks about it in, 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 in it's this picture of this red lizard and there's this man that is just sitting on his shoulder, this lizard. And, and there's this conversation that's happening between the lizard and the man. And then we see this angelic being in front of the man saying, if you hand it over, I can kill it for you. And the man says, no. I'm fine. And he's just filled with guilt and shame and embarrassment, but still standing there with this red lizard just sitting on his shoulder, just whispering lies into his ear. And so they're having this conversation. And he says... The angelic figure in this man says, 
the man finally gets to a point where he says, I, I, want, it, I want it dead. He says, how can I t- t- uh, tell you to, to kill it? He says, you, you'd kill me if you did. The, the angelic figure says, it's not so. He says, why you're hurting me now? Just being in the presence of this angelic figure was hurting him. He says, I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Suddenly the lizard began chattering loudly. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. I'll be so good. I admit, I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I, I won't do it again. The angel says, have I your permission? You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature than I may. Blast you, go on, can't you? Get it over. And then this man says, God help me. God help me. Surrender. Surrender. Would you surrender your sin over to God, the, the blemishes, the stains, all of those things? Because what happens next is the angelic figure slays this red lizard, and the red lizard transforms into this horse with wings, and the man gets on the horse and flies away. You're like, what is that about? That's interesting. Here's the thing. Sex isn't bad, but it was distorted. It was distorted. And so what happens is this red lizard was really meant to be this beautiful horse with wings that the man could just fly away on. But instead, he was holding on to it so long that it became this creature. You know, that's what what happens with our sin. That's what our sin is. And we can try and hold on to it and we can hold on to the guilt. We can hold on to the shame. We can just hold on to that and never surrender it to God. We can stuff it inside. We can spread it. We can hurt others with it. But to surrender it before God, that's the gospel. Because here's what it says next in in Psalm 103, verse 10. It says this, for as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, the starting place for healing is to lay our sin before the Lord. God, I can't pay for it. I can't do it. I I can't get my life together. I can't heal myself. Jesus, I need you to heal me. And what you'll see is as you lay those things before the cross and you look up at Jesus And you see that he died for you and that he loves you and he cares for you. And the reason he paid for you, because he chose to do it. He loved us before we loved him. And as you look at him, your heart and your life will start to heal. And it says in in 1 John 3, 19 and 20, right in there, write that down. I don't have that on the screen, but... It says that uh, God is greater than our hearts. It says there are moments where your heart condemns you, but you need to be reassured of the promises of God. 
And that God actually reassures you by saying, I'm greater than your heart. I'm greater than that guilty conscience that you got going on. And the heart, it's like that area right here where you just feel that so much guilt and strife. He says, I'm greater than that too. I'm greater than that too. So would you let that heal you today? The sacrifice of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you truly are enough, that you are better. And many of us have walked around throughout life with a guilty conscience. And we didn't know how to deal with it. And so today, Lord, let us start with that vulnerability. I'm just saying, yeah, I've got, I've got sin, I've got shame, I've got embarrassment that just fills my heart and my life. And just know that you are a forgiving, loving, gracious Father. That with all our shame, with all our guilt, and with all our sin, we, can, we don't have to hide from you, but we can be real, authentic, and come and truly be transformed by the good news of the gospel. Help us to receive that today. We need it. I need it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.